thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, superstars. Thanks so much for listening in to Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. Oh, I like that uh, new little intro there, Ash. Superstars. (laughs) So great. Um, Hey, ladies, make sure that you're following us on social media. So you can find Ashley on Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. I am DrAndrea.xo on Instagram and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. And we have got a really interesting topic to cover for you um, today. Um, I think something that's relevant for, I, I think, all women Oh, absolutely. And it's probably one of the more common questions we get, you know, when uh, people are contacting us or messages inbox. It's often related to hormone imbalances, weight gain issues, weight regain issues, can't shift weight issues. Um, So I think, you know, when it comes to dieting, the research shows that the majority of people are going to regain some, if not most of the weight that they lose. And tonight we want to have a chat about why this happens and some of the ways you can hack this in the sense that how can you circumnavigate this little thing that your body does? And we're going to talk about it as um, one key part of that being adaptive thermogenesis. So if you've never heard that word, don't freak out. We will explain it very carefully. But, um, you know, it's pretty much as it says, adaptive, like, yeah, you're going to adapt to something. Thermogenesis being, you know, of of heat, of, of energy use. So, I think it's really important to understand why our body doesn't like us losing weight 
Um, because if we can get our head around that, then we can start to see food through a different lens. We can start to see this idea of dieting, recurrent dieting, repeat dieting, and understand why so many people say that if you frequently diet, you're going to damage your metabolism. Mm. And there's some sort of truth to that. It's it's not exactly as straightforward as that. You know, when they say, oh, if you keep yo-yo dieting, you'll damage your metabolism. It's kind of somewhat truthful. So it's kind of like myth busting tonight. It's like, which part of that is true? Which part of that's not true? And what can you do about it? Yeah, exactly. And I think that the most common thing that we see uh, with our patients as well is, and Ash, how like often do you hear women coming in saying that they've started this new weight loss routine or this new diet? Often it's a fad diet as well. We see that mm-hmm. all the time. And they might be exercising vigorously. They're eating nothing at all. Um, and they may be losing weight initially. And then they'll eventually start to plateau and then they'll get to the point where they start to go up again or they'll have a break from their diet, they'll try and do the exact same thing again and it's not working Yes. or they just cannot shift a thing and their weight just starts to climb. Um, but normally it's, you know, just this halt or um, just the weight loss just isn't shifting at all and it's such a classic picture of women who are just so frustrated and they do often think it's something that they're doing wrong. They're blaming their body. They're blaming their broken metabolism. They're blaming like, you know, obviously the fad diets that they've done before thinking that they've damaged their metabolism to the point of no re- no return or they think that they're too old <laughs> to yeah. be able to shift weight now. Or I'm too lazy. I, I don't have enough yeah. willpower to carry on with this. I used to be able to do it well. I'm just not, you know, strong enough anymore. It's like, um, no, that's not true. <laughs> and how much more frustrating is this made when some, possibly some of their other primary care practitioners are saying to them, exercise more, eat less. Correct. And some of these women literally could not be exercising more and eating less. And I, no, and I have to say it, the worst part is when people do it in couples and the men start shredding and stripping the weight and the women are not. Mm-hmm. And I find <laughs> that that is a really common point of like, if not conflict almost, like it's so unfair. Why can they just, you know, do this and they're already losing body weight and I'm not changing anything on the scales where I've gone up. Um, and, it's you know, it's obviously we have to address our healthy um body images as well so there's mm-hmm. different reasons for why uh, that might be a problem for people but yeah it's it's such a i think it's such a stress isn't it to just not have that trust in your body and what it's going to do um, but hopefully tonight we can help you reframe that idea that your body is brilliant that it is intelligent and knowing that intelligence understanding what it wants to do um, and realizing sometimes the things you're doing are completely at odds with what its innate function is makes mm. you realize that you're just in an uphill battle you're never going to win it so stop trying let's think of a smarter way of doing things that will get you the results you want without all of the unnecessary stress, effort, and um, I think almost like self-torture at times. I know I'll put my hands up and if people say, you know, have you ever dieted? I'll absolutely put my hand up and say, yes, I have. I have done many different things. Um, I look at old diaries and I realize I had quite an unhealthy uh, probably relationship with food, with my body and what I expected it to do. And I look back on those photos and think, holy crap, I looked so bloody good compared to what I feel like I do now. But I have a different appreciation for my body now. And if I look at those old photos, what I'm actually now seeing is the mental um, 
challenges I was having. And I say, you know, not mental health so much, but more just body image issues regarding Mm. what you were seeing in other athletes, training with other people around you, looking a certain way, needing to match that certain thing to be part of your sport, to be part of your team. Like it's, there's a, a, whether people know it or not, there's a lot of unhealthy body imaging in a lot of sports environments. And it's not always from the coaches or from, you know, people around you. It's the internal dialogue that does a lot of that damage. And then you carry that pervasive internal dialogue into your adult life as well and that could be both from a i'm not you know lean enough or i haven't i'm too skinny you know i've seen it on the Mm. other side where women are like would love nothing more than to have boobs and some hips but their body framework doesn't support that that's not the way they are so this concept of adaptive thermogenesis fits into both underweight and overweight. It's interesting because it mm-hmm. actually accounts for why people who are super skinny try and add in the calories, um, might go up for a little while, and then they revert back to this lean mass that they're not happy with. And I know people sitting there go, God, I'd love to have that problem. But just remember, you know, we walk in our own shoes, and so it's only a problem for you in each individual situation. So I try and try and be kind to people and say, hey, just remember, the torture you have inside about being overweight is the same torture inside someone has about being underweight if they don't want to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And I should be honest, I do not know any woman who hasn't at some point in their life done some sort of dieting and mm. whether that is to either lose or gain weight um, yeah. or change their body composition in some way. And everyone is scared of having a slow metabolism or mm. on the flip side of that, a metabolism that's too fast. You know, I, I see the anguish on women's faces who are very, very thin naturally and they will say to me and almost um, they'll feel guilty asking, am I too thin? You know, what yeah. can I do to actually – because, you know, the, there's a whole bunch of complications that happen for them as well, including, you know, hormonal disruption and difficulties with fertility and all of those sorts of things. And they're almost scared to ask because it's not okay for them to ask that. Um, so, you're exactly right. It's um, – there's both ends of the spectrum that we're talking about here and, and this information is relevant to all of that. So, I'm going to start with just basically three facts and I want you to think on these because as we go through, we'll explain them at more – uh, depth. But firstly, food is not just fuel. So we've been given this idea that we're just eating for energy. Okay. So firstly, food is not just fuel. Mm-hmm. Secondly, a calorie is not a calorie. And that's a bit of a funny one to think about because like, hang on, isn't it a calorie? And we're going to explain why not all calories are made equal. And thirdly, food is not just energy and nutrients as we've been told. Okay. It's a far more complex um, packet of information being brought into your body than just simply food. Um, so if we can see things, understanding that it's not just for fuel, calories are not just calories uh, as we've been taught and that food is not just energy and nutrients, then you'll start to understand why adaptive thermogenesis uh, is something that makes a whole lot of sense um, because I know I've had this conversation with a couple of clients that are nerdier and they're in sports uh, science and things like that and they were still struggling to get their head around this and it's like, yeah, but it's because we've been taught some things that are wrong for so long. <laughs> it's really hard to break out the things we think are true that are not as true as we think they are. Um, it's a lot of things in life, isn't it? Once you've been taught something, you think it's truth. You're sometimes not willing to reconsider the situation. It's like, but I was already told that that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not exactly the way it is. Um, so, yeah, it's good okay. to, to reassess. 
Actually, I think we need to just clarify adaptive mm. thermogenesis just to like in its most simplistic form. So the Good. way that I think about this is yep. it is it's the compensatory response that happens when you say lose weight. So that will then possibly resist weight loss further and may result in weight regain. So, you know, when when you lose weight, there's normally that reduction in energy expenditure and it decreases over time. So, you know, with restrictive dieting, it then creates this energy balance equation where no more weight loss may be possible because your body will adapt to that new energy state. I don't know if I'm explaining it in a way that makes any more sense there. Ash, how would you explain adaptive thermogenesis? No, it's perfect. That's okay. It's in the short, you know, short sum, it's basically a self-regulating system that is designed for survival. Yeah. So yeah, you put exactly. yourself under stress, you start to lose weight or start to gain a lot of weight and your body will adapt in a way that says, whoa, hold the horses. We've got to go back to our homeostatic, you know, our balance points mm-hmm. for survival. So if we're going to um, have dramatic calorie reduction, for example, or crash dieting or anything that's done um, with some degree of rapidness, then your body will naturally put on the brakes. So think of adaptive thermogenesis as a braking system. It's like you approaching the traffic lights and it starts to apply the brakes. And as the closer you get to the, the stop line with that red light, the harder the brakes get applied. And it's like, whoa, 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 okay, there we are. And that's why the last five kilos for a lot of people who are in a weight loss goal they really struggle to kick those last five kilos because mm-hmm. that adaptive thermogenesis is basically hit the brakes hard and those last five kilos won't shift. Yep. Um, and the body knows you're supposed to survive. You're not supposed to strip this thing that you think looks good, but internally your body doesn't give a crap about how you look. It cares about how you function. Um, yep. You know, psychology cares about how we look. Body only cares about function. And survival. So, Ash, uh, okay, Go into a little bit more detail about those three myths that you were debunking. Okay, so let's just start with, I guess, the the simple thing of the calories in idea Mm -hmm. because this is something where people go, but hang on, one calorie is one calorie, right? So let's talk about, well, firstly, calories are often imprecise. So counting calories, when people are told to count calories, all those numbers you get on databases or on the back of packets and stuff like that, um, the evidence shows they've often come to that and there's three to five different methods to create a understanding of what a calorie is for that particular food type. And they've shown that those calories can vary from 20 to 25%. And there's even evidence that I was reading that error levels can be up to 50%. So you imagine if you think you're taking 51 calories in for a certain item of food, like one slice of bread, but it's actually 78 calories. You know, this is one one set of studies is showing that one group found 51 in the same slice of bread, another group found 78 calories. So there's a lot of imprecision there in the science of actually finding the calorie um to give it a number, to give it a precision about that number so you know what you're taking in. So you mm-hmm. could be counting and getting a margin of error of up to 50%. That's huge. <laughs> that's yes. going to make a big difference to how – so that's why we say calorie is not a calorie. Um, and also how your body interprets each calorie. So, for example, calories from whole, real, live foods have a very different interpretation at an epigenetic level, which is basically how your body, brain, and de- genetics interact with each other to um, respond to that environmental trigger, which in this case is food, um, is very different. So, for example, a calorie is a calorie. 
Not quite. So with almonds, for example, we know that you absorb around 68% of the calorie that your body is exposed to. Of, for example, a pistachio nut, it's 95%. So there's a very big difference. They're nuts, yes, and their fat levels and energy levels are all very similar, but what you're actually absorbing is different, ranging from 68 to 95 for very similar nuts. Um, that's just one example. There's so many more of those in all sorts of different um, in foods and fruits. The fiber-rich foods is another area where basically the harder a food is to process, the less calories we absorb because the more time it takes from the gut, the more energy it takes. So if you think about energy intelligence, if something takes a lot of energy to break down, we absorb less. Yeah. If something like highly refined products that come off packets and, you know, in the shelves, if all the food processing is already done for you, the body will absorb a lot more of that. Does that make sense? So in the simplest way, I'm like the harder it is to eat, so the more chewing it requires and the more breakdown it needs to do on your plate, the more cutting up, the more everything's, the less calories of that item you're going to absorb. The easier it is, the quicker it is, the more you absorb. It's just a very simplistic way and there's obviously not precision there. But I think when people say, so if you grabbed a, a muesli bar out of a packet and threw that down your throat versus picking up. 10 individual almonds, you know, la, 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 and slowly chewing and eating those, the same amount of item unprocessed in your hand, you would find that the absorption rates are different. Now, how crazy is that to think that depending on its processing level depends on how much you absorb? But it makes perfect sense. But the calories will be the the same. Yeah. You think about the energy it takes to actually um, digest and process that. So it makes, it does make sense. It does. And then what was the next thing I talked about? I was just trying to think my list of... I was talking about, um, so that's the calories, the calorie, and then food being not just energy and nutrients. I love this because this falls into our chiropractic world of innate intelligence. You know, we always talk about this this idea that the body is so much more intelligent than we give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this huge interplay of, uh, you know, incredible systems working together. Uh, and we often use it in the hormonal sense, the symphony orchestra, but that's the body in general. You know, there's always things happening at all different times. It's not a closed linear system. So this idea of thermogenesis, thermodynamics doesn't work the way they teach us because we are an open dynamic system with huge amounts of bio-unique variability, meaning that we're all different, unique, different levels of bacteria. Like let's just talk about something really baseline. Um, There's studies showing that people whose gut bacteria, well, basically your gut bacteria can determine whether you're increasing or decreasing the calories you're absorbing. Now, how crazy is that? So people with a high proportion of um, firmicutes, they absorb on average 150 calories more per day than those with a high proportion of bacteroidetes. Yep. Yeah, pretty amazing, right? So even your gut bacteria is going to determine. So two people eat the exact same food with the exact same calorie expend, like requirements in them, but once they've consumed them, it's gone through their gut system, then all of a sudden one ends up with more calories absorbed than the other person. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, how cool is that? And that's just from bacteria. Forget gender, epigenetics, like forget all these other factors. Um, mm-hmm. So it's far more complex, and this is why I say to women, 
don't beat yourself up and compare yourself to your friend who's doing the same diet. You two ladies are completely different, different height, different weight, different genetic orient, you know, background. So different origin, um, different gut flora and microbes. Like there's just so many factors there that are why people will not have the same rates of change that is predicted on a baseline calorie in calorie out equation. And then you can even take it further, Ash, like I even see differences in women who are at certain different stages of their menstrual cycle. Um, Obviously, you mentioned things like the age, genetics, um, their microbiota, like obviously their hormonal profile. Um, It can... It also will depend on the types of exercise they're doing as well. But even if they're on any kind of medications and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things, all of that is going to change these factors. Um, And ultimately, remember, it keeps coming back to this um, idea of homeostasis for the body and what it's always trying to achieve. And that is essentially, you know, creating that balance within our system um, for our own protection and survival. Isn't it? And it's that response to stimulus. So, for example, if you restrict calories really dramatically, say you, um, you've you been eating 2,000 calories a day, you cut that in half and you're eating like half of that all of a sudden, the body is going to do everything it needs to do to adapt to that and think all of a sudden that it's in famine. So, initially, you may get that that weight loss initially but then it doesn't know how long that is going to continue for. So everything will adapt to your new state. So essentially the information that you're giving your body, it will be adapting to, which is why it gets harder and harder over time. Um, but we have some ideas of some ways of um, sort of counteracting that. Um Ash, should we go into that now or is there other stuff you want to sort of throw in? Good. I just think we've given enough like reason. You know, I always say to people like to change something, you have enough, have, have to have enough why. Like why does that matter? What's yeah. important about that? Um, so hopefully, ladies, that gives you a bit of an understanding that some of the things we've been taught, this whole idea of just, you know, basic calorie counting doesn't work the way we think it should. Um, there's also, you know, just – just to go down the rabbit hole, if you want to look into this, do have a little look at these equations of energy in and energy out, just so you can understand mm. how complex and dynamic they are in the sense that we we simplify it so much, it's almost unfair. It's setting us up to fail because we've made it so simple. Like, well, if we do this, then that should happen. Well, actually, not quite. Um, so let's just think of something really basic, like the energy out, right? We're like, well, that means if I do 30 minutes of exercise every day, it's going to, you know, that's I'm going to be burning 1,400 calories or whatever it is. Yeah, not quite. Um, so energy out is a combination of four key factors. Um, one of those factors is resting me- metabolic rate. The other is the thermic effect of eating. So, you know, what our baseline body does with the food we put into it. Um, the next part is then the physical activity. So, you know, when you say I've done 30 minutes, great. Um, and then there's also this non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is also, you know, and so all of these things are variable. I liked the the, the NEAT, which is the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's just simple things like when we have to stand all day, you know, people say, oh, I'm so tired. Yeah, you do. You, you get tired because your body is actively using muscles to stay upright against gravity. And so you're burning calories by just doing that. So, um, And Ash, even you moving your hand while you're talking, <laughs> there, that, that, that's <laughs> an example of that. <laughs> yeah. So when yep. your body is in that, is going through that adaptive thermogenic sort of state, those movements will naturally decrease. 
Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that interesting? And so each of these are incredibly variable. So just that's why I want to say to you, don't, you know, kick yourself hard when you think you're failing at things because you're doing all the right things based on the equations and the information you're given because there's just too much variability there. Um, so, you know, for people who are struggling, please stop yo-yo dieting. Just start there um, and start yeah. to consider the idea that you might want to get one-on-one with someone who's very specific and understands these concepts really well to help tailor something that's going to fit you and your body needs best um, because the blanket you know, nutrition, like we've run our 28-day uh, hormone reset program and we have never counted a calorie on that program ever. Correct. You know, the program focus is on the intelligence of food, what we're putting into our body, healthy habits, like how we move our body. Um, and basically the idea is you don't do these things to lose weight, but by doing these things, so interestingly, how many of the women comment the, you know, the result, yeah. the side effect is weight loss. Wow. Because we focus on things like increasing sleep. Now let's just talk about something basic like sleep. Um, one of the things where sleep affects the body Oh, where's my information? Because I actually had data and I like numbers when they're actually relevant because then it's like not making up crap. <laughs> do you know how people throw Which numbers? Do, right? No, no. Well, but we don't, right? And this is the thing. You know, when people go, oh, 20%, you're like, where'd you get that 20% from? Like, okay. Um, so sleep, there is research this. And um, having a look here at the research that's in front of me. Uh, so for example, sleep deprivation for a single night can decrease calories burned by a range of five to 20%. Yep. And we also know from our previous episode and other ones that we've done that when you have sleep deprivation, it messes with your leptin receptors. You can't get full, so you'll be eating more anyway. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned the hormones in the phases of menstrual cycle. Um, I'll use one here because I've got a nice little chart that I looked that up stuff too because I'm like, oh, what about hormones and cycles? That's an interesting one. Um, we're looking at phases here. So you're looking at uh, basically calories on phase. So around day three to four of the cycle, average around 1400 um going through ovulation increases slightly 1480 um, pushes into luteal phase 1500 and right before your bleeding cycle it's around 1600 so there's a range there of 1400 to 1600 based on your monthly cycle mm -hmm. um, and that's really interesting so again these are all factors that um, make our classic calories in calorie out equation redundant it doesn't work Exactly. Um, okay. So, ladies, if you're falling into this trap of massive weight loss resistance despite your best efforts and also understanding that obviously the physiology of weight loss is so complicated, here are some really simple strategies apart from, you know, having the right kind of diet for you apart from, you know, doing all things like working out where your resting metabolic rate is and everything else. So, I would – I would suggest get all of the that stuff right first and then let's look at what your metabolic rate will be once you get to your goal and so you begin with the end in mind um, and then we work backwards from there and then when you do start to get to these points of plateau or things are slowing down you have to keep your body guessing because remember That's right. it's this um, you know this homeostasis you've got to um, think about the stresses and pressures you're putting on your body and what you're asking it to do. So does that mean that going through um, periods of, and I think technically they call it refeeding, but changing your calorie intake occasionally to have that increase or speed up of that metabolism and then dropping back down again to what is comfortable for you or part of that program for you? Um, 
and doing other things like making sure you're tracking something before you start. So even if that's just your steps for the day or, you know, whatever it might be and make sure that when you start decreasing your calories and you do start losing a little bit of weight that your steps, for example, don't decrease naturally just with it. Because I think what you'll notice is that your body as, you know, with that adaptive thermogenesis, you won't even notice that you're doing a bit less. So let's have something that's just going to keep an eye on those sorts of things for you. And changing that exercise regularly as well can be really helpful. So for example, if you're doing, um, uh, you know, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is high-intensity interval training. If you're doing some sort of interval training, change those intervals and change them regularly. Don't mm-hmm. let your body get used to that. Um, so keep it guessing, especially when you get to those plateaus. Um, playing around with things like fasting can be useful, but I would only suggest do that with guidance, especially for women and especially because of our hormones. Um, you know, food timing can really, really help. But like I said, under guidance, Um Doing things like reverse dieting, which I know is really, really popular, particularly in um, bodybuilding spaces where they'll do the restrictive, but then they'll really slowly increase their calories until they're eating twice as much, but their metabolism has really kept up with that. Um, And again, you'd need to do that under a lot of guidance. Um, Making sure your protein is really adequate because as you start to lose body weight, you don't want to be losing that muscle tissue as well because obviously that lean muscle mass helps to keep that metabolism kicking along. Getting on top of and managing your sleep and stress is probably one of the key things for this too, as you said before, Ash, with the sleep. Um, But ultimately, I'm really not a fan of fad diets, particularly the really, really low um, calorie, very restrictive diets because we know that and there's lots of really good studies that show that weight loss is actually inhibited for quite a long time following really severe um, calorie restriction. Yeah. I also throw in there because all of those things absolutely nail it. Like that's that's your your base points. Going slightly deeper and a little bit more complex, then mm-hmm. you're starting to think about things like the gut microbiome. Yes. So you know, getting a healthy gut flora, getting the the gut tested if needed. If you know if this has been chronic concern, uh, chronic issue, if there's chronic. Uh, overweight or obesity concern, then having stool sampling and understanding the gut microbiome can help you to uh, regulate and change that, uh, understanding things like prebiotics and probiotics. You know, Mm -hmm. what does your body need more of or less of? Um, I like to think of food as intelligent information. And our body has spent tens of thousands of years evolving to understand the environment through what we put into it. So, Every little bit of food you eat tells your body about the the world around you. It tells the body, you know, this is the the intelligence. The body will know the seasons, the temperature, the quality of the air, the land, the water, the soil health. Like all of these things come through in little packets of information from food. So when we, you know, are talking about making change to the body to become more in tune with what it actually needs, then we also need to consider, do you know what season your food is meant to be grown in because we can get pineapples on the shelf all year round but innately our body knows we don't live in a tropical climate you know we're in a temperate climate here in wa Mm -hmm. in perth and yet somehow we've got this availability of year-round pineapples like can you see how like on a biological intelligence level that's a little bit confusing because we're not supposed to have that you know we're not supposed to have apples yeah every day of the year but we have access to them 
they're actually very seasonal. They've got a short growing zone, a short storage zone, and if it's not stored, then it'll be pickled or preserved, typical traditional ways. And that also is something that's intelligent from Bolly because those pickled and preserved foods then create what? Probiotics and prebiotics, mm-hmm. gut health inducing foods. So it's just, I just, that's the part I kind of get excited by. I think, wow, if we stop thinking of food as calories and start thinking of it as intelligent packets of information our body needs to build tissue, to send signals through the body at a genetic level, um, we start to go, oh, food is not just food. You know, and we start to then consider the quality of the food we're eating, the amounts, the frequency, um, and that takes on a whole new picture of what that impact of what we're eating is. And that's where we truly dive into, you know, that love and passion for food and stop seeing it as a challenge to see how much we can restrict or or change um, our bodies. We start to see our bodies as something we fuel and feed through love and commitment, and that relationship change with food can change everything as well. Oh, Ash, that's such a nice way to sort of um, to round that out as well. Just thinking about just having such reverence for that food and honoring that and just the different way that our body is going to receive that as well. And so often I will say to women that your body is not ready to lose weight yet. You're not in a weight loss phase yet. We've Mm. got to get your gut right. We've got to get your hormones right. We've got to be able to repair some of this and then it will be easy. And when we do that, it is actually easy. Um, But for the most part, women are so hard on themselves and they push themselves so much and they try to be so heavily restrictive um, and don't treat food like it is, you know, amazing, um, you know, intelligent, life-giving things. Um, And it's all just, you know, so much pain and suffering that we put ourselves through uh, because that's, you know, just been our pattern. So, (laughs) Ash, I think that's... So, So when it comes to all of this, basically we need knowledge. Okay, which is why you're on here listening to us and hopefully searching through a few of the words we've used if they don't make sense to you. We need patience. So we need time. We want, we need to get away from this idea that everything has to be fast and fixed fast, right? Mm-hmm. This whole idea of I've got to lose five kilos by a certain date is not helpful. Um, so we need to give our body time and that's, that's that patience, that trust. And then we also need to have um, this this understanding that we are intelligent beings. So self-love has to be thrown in there as well. And I think if we can utilize knowledge, patience, and self-love, we can change a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Ash, that's lovely. Um, And the perfect place to finish. So, ladies, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. Uh, We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.